Good morning. Mixed results from a midterm election where democracy was on the ballot. A hunger striker in an Egyptian prison is represented at COP27. But is the International Environmental Conference another example of greenwashing? Governor Hochul is in the lead, and Trump calls Pelosi an animal. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Wednesday morning, November 9th, 2022. In the liberal states, Democrats won, but in red states it was steak dinner for Republicans. As the midterm elections proved again, America is a divided nation, split down the middle between urban Democrats and rural and ex-urban Republicans. In New York City, Senator Chuck Schumer was elected to a fifth term, easily defeating a GOP contender. The 71-year-old Schumer danced a few steps in celebration. Meanwhile, Governor Kathy Hochul, also a Democrat, is still waiting for the results of her bid to retain the job she inherited when Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned under fire. She's leading Republican Lee Zeldin 55 to 45 percent in a race that was surprisingly close. Throughout the nation, red and blue candidates battled for control of the United States Senate and House of Representatives. The GOP needs to pick up one Democratic Senate seat to win the majority in the upper house and a handful to win control of the lower house. But with candidates running with the endorsement of Donald Trump, some openly calling the 2020 race stolen, all eyes were on what was going on at the polls. In swing state Arizona, some voting machines broke down, prompting state officials to go to social media as voters backed up. Hello, Maricopa County. I'm Bill Gates, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. And I'm Stephen Richard, the Maricopa County Recorder. And things are going great out there, but there's one thing that we wanted to address to make people aware of today, and that has to do with our tabulators. We've got about 20% of the locations out there where there's an issue with the tabulator where some of the ballots that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator and they're not going through. But the good thing is, is we do, first of all, we're trying to fix this problem as quickly as possible. And we also have a redundancy in place. If you can't put the ballot in the tabulator, then you can simply place it here in where you see the number three. And this is a secure box where those ballots will be kept for later this evening, where we'll bring them in here to Central Count to tabulate them. Former news host Carrie Lake is running for governor in Arizona with the endorsement of former President Trump. Trailing Democratic rival Katie Hobbs, Lake, a firm advocate of Trump's false theory he won in 2020, complained to the media. Within minutes of the polls opening up, I started getting people calling, voters in tears, calling my personal number, saying, what's going on? The tabulators aren't working. They told me to put my, my ballot into a box and they would drive it downtown to count it. This is not normal stuff. We don't have to have elections run this way. They gotta fix this problem. This is incompetency. I hope it's not malice, but we're gonna fix it. We're gonna win. And when we win, there's gonna be a come to Jesus for elections in Arizona. There's gonna be a come to Jesus. As of this writing, Hobbs was in the lead 57 to 43%. Trump also went public, exhorting Lake voters to stay online to vote no matter how long it takes. There's a lot of bad things going on. Stay online. Do not leave. I know you don't want to be there as long as they're going to try and force you. They want to delay you out of voting. 
and you cannot let them delay you out of voting. So to the people of Arizona in particular, because that's the one that's come up right now, stay online, don't leave. Already a lot of people have left and it's very, very unfair what's going on. Maricopa County, don't leave, stay there. And the national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine is John Nichols. He says for an election without the president at the top of the ticket, this year may be crucial to the survival of democracy in the United States. In this campaign, there is very little question that the Republicans have made crime, uh, criminal justice issues, very central to their messaging. And it's a message that harkens back in many senses to the late 1960s and early 1970s when George Wallace, uh, who was an independent candidate for president, and Richard Nixon, a Republican president, really played on what was referred to as backlash voting. They tried to get people very scared about crime, very hyped up about crime, as a tool to get people who might not usually vote for a conservative candidate to do so. We've seen that all over the country this year. It's part and parcel of kind of some of these broader debates that we've got, right? But what it does suggest, of course, is, as you, I think, are suggesting, is that the results of this election could, in many states in this country, lead to real policy shifts. And that's an interesting thing, because over the last few years, we have seen a lot of progress on criminal justice reform. We've seen Democrats and even some Republicans recognizing that over-incarceration doesn't really work and that, you know, legalization of marijuana is a good idea. Um, a number of, of reforms that have taken place. And, and I could see uh, some stalling of that, of that progress uh, and even a reversal of it in particular states around the country. So, I mean, again, that's one of the reasons why uh, this election is a big deal. Obviously, you've got the partisan divide, but you also have the, the fight over specific issues and where we're going to go as a country, essentially the reversal of progress on some fundamental issues. Do you think it's a wise idea for uh, President Biden to consider running in two years? I think that's a very tough one to answer. Here's the reality. President Biden is certainly not a young man. And if he runs in two years, were he to get reelected, he'd be serving you know, well into his 80s, into his later 80s. That's a pretty big deal in, in American politics. We've never had a president that old. Uh, now, the flip side is that his likely opponent, Donald Trump, is also quite old. But there is the, the question of whether um, the Democratic Party might look for somebody who's younger, who can maybe kind of turn a page politically. And I think there'll be some, if, if the Democrats do very badly in the midterms, I think there'll be some pressure, you know, some, some folks saying, you know, yeah, we ought we to look at alternatives. Now, the problem with that, and here's the, the kind of the, the capper of the storyline, is that at this point, Biden has a sort of a unique ability, it seems, to unite Democrats, right? And if he can keep the Democratic coalition together better than other potential candidates, there'll be some pressure on him to, to run again, because even if he's not the ideal candidate, he may be the strongest candidate that Democrats have. Uh, and always there's a balancing that goes on in this situation. So I think what, what the midterm elections are going to tell us you know, and, and when they all get, when all those votes get counted and all the races get settled out, you really get a, a picture is how well can Joe Biden unite the Democratic Party? If the Democrats do reasonably well, they don't have to win everything. In fact, they could even have setbacks. 
But if they do a little better than expected in the midterms, then I think Biden's got and people who support Biden have a pretty good argument that that he is a strong potential candidate to run again. On the other hand, if the Democrats do really badly, if it's a major setback for the Democrats, then I think you're going to see and hear a lot of people saying, look, you know, Joe Biden may be a nice guy. People may like him, but it, it certainly didn't work in 2022. And if it doesn't work in 2022, there's that chance it wouldn't work in 2024. And so, uh, again, it's kind of interesting that we come back to your initial question. Is this as important an election as some people suggest? And, and one of the answers to that question is that how the Democrats do could very well determine whether Joe Biden chooses to run for re-election or not. Um, and so that's a huge deal. Uh, and that's something we're going to, as, as the night goes on and perhaps into the next couple of days, that's something that's going to give us a perspective on, you know, how big a deal this election really has turned out to be. Control of Congress was still too close to call as of midnight in New York. Republican Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Another Republican endorsed by Trump, J.D. Vance, won in Ohio. But Democrat John Fetterman easily beat Dr. Mehmet Oz. Maryland got its first black governor in West Moore. Maura Healey, the Democrat, won in Massachusetts. As red states stayed red for the most part and blue states stayed blue. And the U.S. heads for another period of divided government. Meanwhile, in environmental news, at the COP27 Climate Summit in the Sinai Resort town of Sharm el-Sheikh, Sana Saif, the sister of Egyptian-British activist Allah Abdel Fattah, campaigned for her brother's release from an Egyptian prison. Saif said she was unsure of her brother's whereabouts or even if he's still alive. She said the best information the family had was that Allah has stopped drinking water and eating food. His sister says Allah may die. Allah stopped drinking water. 50 hours ago. We don't know where he is. We don't know if he's alive. Um, my mother waited outside the prison gates for 10 hours yesterday for her weekly letter. They didn't give her one. She's back at those gates right now. I asked the British authorities to get us some proof that Allah is alive and conscious. I did not get any response. Right here in this conference center, Sana. the Egyptian foreign minister who is also the COP president, has been giving interviews saying there is nothing to worry about and that the prison have medical facilities. President Sisi made a commitment to President Macron that Allah's health will be preserved. And these statements really worried me. Let the British embassy visit him or put him in a plane out of Egypt today or he will die, he will be relieved of this nightmare. But Alec shouldn't be forced anything against his will. Sana Saif, the sister of Egyptian-British activist Allah Abdel Fattah. A spokesperson for Volker Turk, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, echoed the family's concern and demanded the release of the prisoner. High Commissioner Volker Turk urges the government to immediately release Abdel Fattah and to provide him with the necessary medical treatment. On the 2nd of April this year, Abdel Fateh started a partial hunger strike with minimal calorie intake. On the 1st of November, with his health already fragile, Abdel Fateh stepped up his hunger strike. And he then stopped drinking water on the first day of COP27 on the 6th of November. <clears throat> Abdel Fateh is in great danger. His dry hunger strike puts his life at acute risk. 
were very concerned for his health. Um, and there is a lack of transparency as well around his current condition. Um, we understand that his family has not been able to, to contact him um, over, over the past couple of days. And, and there are serious concerns about his health. So, yeah, we again stress the need for him to be urgently, immediately released um, and for him to receive the necessary medical treatment as soon as possible. The 40-year-old Allah Abdel Fattah has been on a hunger strike for 220 days, protesting his detention in prison conditions. According to rights groups, Abd al-Fattah is among more than 60,000 prisoners of conscience in Egypt since President el-Sisi came to power, deposing former President Mohamed Morsi in 2013. And in more news from the COP27 climate conference, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres presented a report slamming greenwashing, claims of being friendly to the environment, says Guterres, that are not being backed up by real action. We have a big gap in the climate space. A growing number of governments and non-state actors are pledging to be carbon-free, and obviously that's good news. The problem is that the criteria and benchmarks for these net-zero commitments have varying levels of rigor and loopholes wide enough to drive a diesel truck through. We must have zero tolerance for net-zero greenwashing. According to the report, governments and industries can't claim to be net zero while building and investing in new fossil fuel power plants or any kind of environmentally destructive activities. And in yet more COP27 news, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro shook hands and exchanged words with U.S. climate envoy John Kerry during a brief encounter at COP27. Later in Washington, State Department spokesperson Ned Price said the encounter between Kerry and Maduro was unplanned and that nothing substantial was discussed. He interrupted uh, what was an ongoing meeting at COP27 to uh, engage Special Envoy Kerry, and this was very much an unplanned interaction, uh, just in the same way that uh, other world leaders have been uh, presented with uh, unplanned interactions uh, from Nicolas Maduro. Uh, he briefly spoke to Special Envoy Kerry uh, during COP27, uh, this was not, as I said before, uh, planned or, or substantive in any way. Uh, Maduro has, unfortunately, uh, as it pertains to COP, overseen a period of significant environmental degradation, destruction of the Amazon through deforestation, through oil spills and illegal mining. And we believe it's in the interest of the entire region uh, that such activities uh, come to an end. But as far as that conversation goes, it was unplanned. Uh, it was uh, non-substantive as well. Okay, so the former Secretary Kerry was caught by surprise and he was basically just being polite? That, he, he, was caught by, he was caught by surprise. Uh, I understand that Nicolas Maduro has done this to a number of uh, world leaders. This was certainly not uh, an interaction that was jump out. That was uh, that was that was planned. <laughs> who, who who else has he done this I, to? I am not going to uh, put a spotlight on his other interactions, but you can uh, uh, check out some of the the uh, video that's available on social media. Price added, Maduro had walked up to leaders unannounced in the past, although a quick search of news sources on the internet failed to turn up any evidence of unwanted conversations with the Venezuelan leader. And another political drama playing out at COP27 was the war between Russia and Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine spoke in English, 
claiming attacks by Russia on civilian power plants in Ukraine was a potential environmental disaster. There can be no effective climate policy without the peace on the earth, because in fact, nations are thinking only about how to protect themselves here and now from the threats created in particular by the Russian aggression. This Russian war has brought about an energy crisis that has forced dozens of countries to resume coal-fired power generation in order to lower energy prices for their people, at least a little, to lower prices that are shockingly rising due to deliberate Russian actions. There is a direct risk of a radiation disaster. Who will care, for example, about the amount of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere if part of Europe or the Middle East and possibly Northern Africa, God forbid, are covered by a radiation cloud after an accident in Zaporizhia? I invite you, you all, to support our initiative presented here at the conference, creation of a global platform to assess the impact of military actions on climate and environment. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. In response to allegations Russia has been shelling a Ukrainian nuclear power plant under Moscow's control, last month Russian President Vladimir Putin challenged the sanity of anyone who would claim Russia would be so reckless. They're always hinting that we're shelling and the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. Are they out of their minds? Well, we're controlling this nuclear power plant. We have our troops based there. Putin has walked back earlier threats to go nuclear, but in recent weeks, both Russia and NATO have been holding separate nuclear drills. In related news, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield warned that global food security depends on renewing the United Nations brokered deal allowing Ukrainian grain exports, saying Tuesday that 828 million people in the world are going to bed hungry every night. She said at a news conference in the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv, that Ukraine has long been a breadbasket for much of the developing world, but Russia's invasion has turned Ukraine's rolling wheat fields into battlefields. The Grain Initiative was a rare example of cooperation between Ukraine and Russia. The Ukrainian ports were blockaded and mined early in the war, but more than 10 million tons of grain have left the Ukrainian ports for destinations in Africa, Asia, and Europe since the Black Sea Corridor was established in July. And closer to home in more election news. On Monday, President Biden was in New York speaking in support of Governor Hochul. He said her opponent, Representative Lee Zeldin, represented a retreat from democracy. It's a choice between two fundamentally different visions of America. I've said from the beginning, my objective when I ran was to build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. And I tell you what, it's a fundamental shift, and it's working compared to the mega, mega Republican trickle-down economics. You saw what happened last time under my predecessor. The economy left it in ruins. He's the first president in America since Herbert Hoover, to lose more jobs than he got, than he had when he came to office. Fewer jobs, an unemployment rate, 6.4%. He lost manufacturing jobs, hundreds of small businesses closed in this state alone, let alone around the, the nation, thousands. And the country in a pandemic with no way out. 
I signed in a law the bipartisan infrastructure law. By the way, the governor's opponent, Zeldin, voted against that. But as the governor said, she's still fixing the roads and bridges in his district, even though he's against it. But he'll probably take credit for it somewhere along the line. The most significant investment in our nation's infrastructure since Eisenhower's interstate highway system. And your governor is making sure all that money is coming to New York and it's billions is getting out the door right away. She's Biden's words appear to have been heated. With 80% of the vote counted in New York, Hochul maintains a 10-point lead over Zeldin. According to the New York Times, the Senate is forecast to remain at a 50-50 seat tie, giving effective control to Democrats because the vice president gets the tie-breaking vote, while Republicans are leading Democrats in the House by 14 seats. Currently, Democrats hold an eight-seat margin. And finally, the hyperbole and ugliness of this election cycle will probably be studied by historians for years to come. One of the low points was a speech a couple of days ago by Trump in Dayton, Ohio. He referred to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a dehumanizing way. Nancy Pelosi said, please don't call them animals. They're human beings. I said, no, they're animals. Of course, I think she's an animal, too. You want to know the truth? They'll say, oh, what a horrible thing she said about Nancy. She impeached me twice for nothing. Nothing. They'll say, oh, these people, the fakers back there. They'll say, what a horrible thing. He called Nancy Pelosi an animal. Let me tell you, what she does to this country and what she did to the, and the turmoil, and it was all, I used the word yesterday, I shouldn't, my great first lady got very upset. I said, I will never use the word bullshit again. But what she did to us in this country, and yet we got more done as an administration and a president than just about any president in the history of our country in four years. Several days earlier, an intruder broke into the Pelosi home and assaulted her 82-year-old husband with a hammer. Meanwhile, in late election news, Democrat Josh Shapiro is projected to defeat Republican and Trump supporter Doug Mastriano to become governor of Pennsylvania, and Senator Raphael Warnock in Georgia has pulled ahead of football hero Herschel Walker. But since both candidates are getting less than 50% of the vote, there's a third-party libertarian running as well. A runoff match is possible. And that's the news for Wednesday morning, November 9th, 2022. The news was written and produced by this reporter. You can listen at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.